Um, so I'm here today with uh, Bishop Dwayne Brock uh, of the Victory Christian Center here in Erie. He has been in ministry for 50, no. Almost 50 years. Almost 50 years. In this city, I've been in ministry uh, 39, 39 yeah. years. Yeah. So I want to... I You've been in the news a lot lately for the successes with the Eagle's Nest program, the new ball courts out, out front here. You've got a street named after you. I want to pull back a little bit and talk about the sweep of your career here in Erie. Just talk to me, just as a pastor, like why did you get into ministry in the first place? Well, I was always fascinated with uh, churchdom mm -hmm. uh, growing up. I would walk to church in Cincinnati, Ohio, walk to church, walk home. Just fascinated with it. I had a traumatic experience in, in where I believe that the Lord had uh, called me into ministry. And through that experience, I remember I was an altar boy. We called them acolytes at, at that point. And, um, I started actually my training for ministry at 10 years of age. And I did what we call a trial sermon. Uh, mm. And, and it, the interesting thing is I still have it, still have it written down. My trial sermon lasted about three minutes, believe it or not. So I tell people that now and they just, they think it's hilarious because I go for 30 <laughs> minutes now. <laughs> but um, it was, and then it was a very rigorous, um, I had to learn um, the character development of service. Uh, my mentor and pastor at that time that I had to carry his briefcase, carry his Bible, I had to shine his shoes, I had to wash his car, I had to, uh, I remember cleaning the old uh, type of Venetian blinds. <laughs> I remember taking those things and putting them on on his front lawn, and I just couldn't get the grass off of them. Put up in the world, you know. I had to. I and it taught me service. Yeah. I had to. Um, we had a big, massive stove in in the kitchen of the church. Very large church. There used to be a Jewish synagogue in Cincinnati. A very massive stove. This big black stove. And I remember getting um, three garbage cans, and I uh, full of lye, lye and water. And I took the stove apart. Literally took the stove apart and had to soak pieces of that stove. And and no one knew that the stove really was blue. Color <laughs> the stove was blue. I hope you wore gloves. I had, to, I had to do all that and, and cut grass and um, it taught me how to serve. So I'm, I'm very, uh, it's part of my spiritual DNA as far as serving. Yeah. Uh, I am deeply concerned about the, the role of, of clergy now because you have young clergy who want to be served Right. Instead of serving, our responsibility is to serve. And I think that as clergymen, um, if we would understand that dynamic, then we can see a definite turnaround within our communities. Mm -hmm. How did you g come from Cincinnati to Erie? What? Well, a part of the AME Zion, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, um, 
it was a, a series of events a a, a um a very popular mentor of mine who I'll tell you who that is later on who's in town he, he likes hmm. to say the stars have been aligned he likes yeah. to make that that statement but it really happened because I ended up being the bishop's driver and the bishop's wife did not fly so I had to drive him everywhere up and down the eastern seaboard from Florida. Yeah, I drove them everywhere, and that's how I was able to learn. Can you imagine yeah. the conversations that went on mm. hours and hours and hours of, of driving this man uh, around the country? And uh, a great man, uh, Bishop Charles Herbert Foley, uh, who lived in Pittsburgh, and he was hard as nails on me. He would say things like, um, uh, he would call me on a Monday and say, be at my house Thursday at 10 o'clock and drive me to Washington, D.C., and he would hang the phone up. He never asked me what I had to do, right. if I had something to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but I had to be at his house, 1200 Windermere Drive, Swissville, right outside of Pittsburgh, <laughs> big mansion. Uh -huh. and I had to drive him, drove him to the White House, drove over all the places I drove him, Harrisburg, White House, Philadelphia, uh, Maine, Vermont, uh, Florida, drove everywhere. So it, it, it was a school. It was it, I was I was going to a university where I learned uh, um, ministry, ministry techniques. I learned theology without paying a tuition. How about that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then that did you come across Erie that way? Well, he sent me to Erie. Yeah. I was the youngest appointment. Uh, I've heard I was the youngest appointment or one of the youngest appointments in the history of the AME Zion Church huh. because I came to town. I just turned 21 years oh, old. Oh, wow. Just turned 21 years old, pastoring the First Good Samaritan AME Zion Church. And uh, can you imagine? No. It, it was it was unimaginable. What what year would that have been? That was uh, I was June eighteenth, nineteen eighty. Okay. Nineteen eighty, June eighteenth. And from even from those earliest days, I know we have clippings that you've been a champion of mm -hmm. racial justice. I guess the term more commonly used today is equity issues, things like that. Mm -hmm. What 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 did you encounter when you first got to Erie? And how have those problems either changed or not changed? And oh well, in, in in dealing with the whole, um, my philosophy of social activism has gone through an evolution. And that's I was going to say. And yeah. what was your strategy then, and how did it evolve? Well, I mean, it's kind of a two-part you know, thing. You're that young. You think you can change the world right. and whatnot, and you find that you can't. And then um, that young, you end up making a, a myriad of mistakes and hitting your head up against the wall and going to the school of hard knocks and all of those type of things. And um, so it was not, it has never been where we're going to fight white folk. Right. It's never been that. I've never had that type of, of aura about me or my ministry, but I, I always thought that there needs to be a sense of fundamental fairness. And so back then, um, I was the president of the NAACP way back then, at, at a very young age, as I met um, my good friend Tom Ridge. 
And I remember specifically that Sunday when the KKK, uh, Ku Klux Klan, burned a cross on, on a church lawn and they took a 357 Magnum and shot through its doors. And uh, Tom Ridge was what came to church that Sunday, was there and stood with me, stayed throughout the entire service, and uh, he was he just demonstrated great friendship. And that's why I've been a supporter of of, of uh, Tom Ridge since those days. Um, but I learned and used it as a platform and, and met some phenomenal people through um, that tragedy, um, Judge Richard Nygaard, who is just, uh, he's my buddy. That's my running buddy. Mm -hmm. A phenomenal man, uh, uh, Richard Nygaard, um, uh, Roger Richard, Terry Roger Richards, uh, this, this great people, and of course, uh, uh, Mr. Tom Hagen, and um, uh, Ben Wiley, um, Bobby Harrison, and I met these people, and um, these people, um, Bishop Don Davis of the Episcopal Church, these people were used to shape me, um, to mold me, to shape a thinking in me, um, to, sh to tell me and to show me that I can do, I can achieve, I can accomplish. And, but to enhance this whole fundamental ideal of service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know some some of the early things you did, you worked with some gang members, didn't you, Anna? Yes. And, um, that, that was a, a fantastic, um, the, uh, Mr. Hagen, uh, stars, Lighting. That's Tom Hagen. Mr. Hagen did something that was absolutely phenomenal. That is why I will I will always be a supporter of him, a defender of him, and I will stand with him. Um, I learned from him, and I've watched him uh, for thirty years from a distance. But he did something. Erie Insurance, uh, Marty Isert, uh, Tom Hagen. I went to them and asked them to help me and to finance uh, the idea of putting a playground right in the middle of gang territory. In those days, the 23rd Holland. Tell me about Holland, that. Yeah. 23rd Holland was the hood. And if you check the record, 23rd Holland was a place of two or three murders in town and gang activity and gang territory. It was terrible. It was it was a, a economically deprived neighborhood, a neighborhood with drugs, uh, uh, murder, uh, crack houses, you name it, it was there. We had the idea, and Mr. Hagen, um, they financed it. They um, uh, uh, they got the Whipple Allen Construction Company, and I had this idea to actually do a um, playground right in the middle of, of gang area. So the idea is to get uh, 19 gang members. I chose 19 gang members, and Mr. Hagen threw 
us I hired 19 of those gang members and we were able to use them to build the playground. So uh, uh, Wilbur Island Construction Company, Scott Island, and there was a gentleman by the name of Jerry Martin. I don't know, if, you know, I haven't seen him since with Jerry Martin. Can you imagine a white gentleman coming in? And he was the foreman. And he came and you might have thought he was General George Patton. <laughs> because he taught the young men how to do, how to measure, um, how to put things together, how to construct, how to build. There was, there was instant interaction between those 19 gang members and this man named Jerry Martin. It, it was absolutely phenomenal. But then what Mr. Hagen did was he turned around and, and opened the door so that they could be hired at Erie Insurance as landscaper. That happened that early? That happened that early. Okay. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know if Mr. Hager even wants me to talk about it or not, but a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So his heart, his heart has always been uh, for for the, the ideals of community. Mm -hmm. That's why I gravitate to Mr. Mm -hmm. and, and Erie Insurance has a atmosphere of service. And that's why I'm I I'm totally against this uh, totally against this community benefit agreement because okay. it brings about regulations where there doesn't have to be regulations. And when you start putting regulations on company, it does not matter if it's a Fortune 500 company or whatever the case may be. You start putting those type of regulations on them, companies draw back. They already have a built-in community benefit agreement, but it's not. It does not adhere to the regulations of a government. Mm -hmm. The things that that institution and, and Hammett and things that they are doing in the community that they they never get the credit for. The people that they have helped, the churches that they have helped. Um, it. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal, and so. Um, that's what happened in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And the Redevelopment Authority used that whole idea to get uh, federal funding to turn that entire neighborhood around. Mm. So that started, that was an eerie insurance thing. Mm. That's fascinating. Way back then. Did, um, did the Eagle's Nest program kind of grow out of that experience because it was, it is always, that experience has always been in the back of my mind. Okay. Because it was, it was extremely successful. But being on the board, fast forwarding, you know, yeah. through the years, being on the board at Hammett and recognizing some some internal um, employment issues there at the hospital, and, and had nothing to do with um, diversity and inclusion. We're not even dealing with that. But okay. As far as entry level positions mm -hmm. and, and whatnot, that it was been a challenge. And so after a board meeting, I went to um, the chief nursing officer, Jim Donnelly, talked with him Then we went to uh, Jim Fiorenzo at that time, the president. They went forward and the rest is history. And 100, 130 young people later, they're working there. I was there, I was there at Hammett at seven o'clock this morning. Mm -hmm. And seeing young people getting, getting off work going home to get some rest and then coming back to work. It was, it's just a beautiful, wonderful sight. 130 mm -hmm. young people that have 
full-time jobs with benefits there, working at, at Hammond UPMC Hospital, another 30 young people working at, at Erie Homes. Uh, it is it's just absolutely phenomenal. I was going to ask you about that. Do you have a favorite success story? I know that's a lot of people, but is there is there an anecdote that, that you... No, I, not one, because people have different stories, but yeah. their stories always overlap and, and, and are, are intertwined together. Um, it, it deals with a sense of hope that you can. Well, when, you, when a person has heard, whether um, uh, consciously or subconsciously, that they cannot make it and they will not make it, then they begin, their behavior begins to adapt to that. And so I've had to come in through my team and we've had to actually rearrange and recondition a thought process in the minds of these young people to let them know that you can make it and you will make it. Right. Um, and it's been tough because um, my first lesson is on attitude. I talk about attitude. Your attitude will determine your altitude and I deal with that attitude. Mm. I mean, I deal with that thing. And uh, my second lesson is I deal, I use, I have a picture of, of Tom Hagen right in our training center across the street, him and John Horan, and I use them as examples of, of a work ethic that your job, you know, go to work, you, you go to work. And there's something happens when you can take money that you have earned mm -hmm. and buy your first television or your first bedroom uh, set or your first toaster, whatever it may be. And, and as simplistic as that may sound, there's something about the, the dignity of work that changes the dynamic and changes the trajectory of a person. And that's what we have seen. And your program starts even before the work, like what you were just saying, of taking the individual and helping to cultivate the mindset that even makes it possible, right, for them to go into it. And then helping each individual, you know, advance through the program. See, I and pay them. But see, I but, pay them to come to class. Right. I guess, and I hear what you're saying about the CBAs, um, but devil's advocate okay. is... is 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 that highly individualized, you know, and successful proven program? Is it to scale to the to the problem in in Erie? Yes. Okay. Because Erie is not Erie is not the, the metropolitan Pittsburgh or metropolitan Cleveland or metropolitan uh, Philadelphia or metropolitan Los Angeles. So most definitely. Where CBAs do happen in they places happen, like that. Well, yeah. they have to happen because of, of the, the uh, you know, it's a humongous um, metropolitan area, area small enough. Um, and, and so we are, we in Erie, we are in a very, very unique situation. And why we haven't taken advantage of the uniqueness of our situation as a okay. city, it's beyond me. It's beginning now. Okay. And I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited about it on one hand, and I'm very, very cautious and fearful on the other hand. 
I'm excited over the opportunity. I can say I've been in the meetings and, and I am excited over the opportunity. There is an atmosphere change in Erie. There you can, you can, I mean, it's in the air. That's on my list of questions. Yeah. What? Tell me your thoughts well, on this momentum. It's, it's it's everywhere. It is fantastic. Yeah. It is great. It is great. But I've told, but I, but I come back to after I've gone to a meeting here or there, whatever it may be, I come back to my community and I say, look here, that train has left the station. And if you think that train is going to stop while you decide to get on board, you got another thing coming. It doesn't work that way. You have, again, $700 million worth of, of projects happening, and the ripple effect is absolutely staggering. That will go into the billions. It really will. Sure will. I'm not an economist, but I have some common sense. So right. It, it, and, and my concern, my deep-seated concern is that, that a disproportionate number of African-American um, citizens are not prepared to take advantage of that opportunity. They're not prepared. Um, the door of opportunity will open. And, and, and it's my responsibility to walk through that door, but I have to be prepared. For example, you have 36% of African-American males will not graduate from Erie School District. That is totally unacceptable. You don't graduate from high school. You don't have a GED. You don't have a high school diploma. You don't have a Pennsylvania State ID. You don't have a, have a permanent uh, uh, address. You don't have a valid driver's license. You don't have a checking account. You don't have a savings account. You don't have any life insurance. You don't exist. So do you, do you really expect this company to hire you on GP alone and you haven't even taken the time or you did not even ha uh, see the need to go to school and graduate and get a high school diploma? It doesn't happen. The real world does not work that way. And, and so it, it's ridiculous for, I guess I'm getting ready to get in trouble. It's ridiculous for the black community to picket institutions who will not hire. These, these, look, I'm talking about basic capitalism. Basic capitalism has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Basic capitalism has, has everything to do with the color of money <laughs> and numbers. If, if, and if, if, you, if you are black, white or polka dot, if you can demonstrate to that employer that you can do the job and that you're, you'll be a part of the team and his company will be the better for hiring you, they'll hire you, bottom line. That's, that's my lesson that I tell African Americans, minorities in my community. Uh, that's my lesson. Am, am I shot at, you know, verbally and all that? Absolutely. But there is, there is a big gap, a step that needs to occur for people to enter the workforce the way you're talking. That's that's, that's fundamentally right. unfair. Well, there's a big gap. Life, life isn't fair. Nothing fair about life. Yeah. Okay. That's why I take the time to do the Eagles Nest program. Right. That's why. You know, I, I believe that um, this program could be expanded. 
to the point that it can change the trajectory of, of the African-American community. Let me give you an example. So I'm on West 12th Street, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm headed east, driving. Mm -hmm. And I drive by the, the beautiful uh, athletic center. Mm -hmm. So, I, But I keep driving. I'm headed east. Something happens. I'm on 6th Street, going by Erie Insurance, and I see the property, I see what they're, oh, it's just beautiful, it's just beautiful. They're buying a property, fixing a property, the yards are manicured, and it's, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And I get, I get to Parade Street, then I cross Parade. Am I in the same city? Have I entered the twilight zone? That should not be. No. We can change that. We can change that. And I look at, that's, that's my vision, and that's my mission, to change that. And, and so, what I call ghettoism is a mentality. Before it becomes a behavior, it's a mentality, it's a thought process. My thing is to change that. And you don't have to live in a Taj Mahal Okay, and you can cut your grass. You can take that crazy sofa off the front porch and take those beer cans. There's certain things you can do to have a sense of pride. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. You pick up the litter in front of your yard. Have a sense of pride about what you have. You may not have the best but you make it the best. Mm -hmm. That's what I've had to do across the years in my life. Had to make it the best. You come by here, this complex by here, they, my elders will tell you they better have that grass cut and, and manicured. If you see bottles or whatever, pick it up. It can, you know, my hedges have to be cut and all those type of things. Mm -hmm. This place has to be It's spotless out there. It has mm -hmm. to be. Because we, we, it is a philosophy. We project an image and I try to project an image of hope. Okay, you talked a, a couple minutes ago about I'm about to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> how how much of it how much of a problem is it that there isn't an agreed upon strategy? And I know the black community isn't monolithic; it never has been, never will be. It, uh, <laughs> but how much of it, given the steep nature of the challenges in Erie, like how how much of it a problem is it that that there is an agreement on how to fix it? I don't know. Um, I have I have tried I across the years, across the years, and I have served in my position as a local pastor longer than anyone else in Erie. So I can speak from a standpoint of authority and experience. I've tried across the years. Um, you know I, how many meetings. How many conferences, you know, come to this work together, let's formulate a strategy. And what happens is, and I guess human nature gets in the way, mm -hmm, because sure. people, people want to build their own kingdom, their own, uh, the egos get in the way, and, and personal agendas get in the way, and that's human. I guess that happens in every uh, ethnic group. It's not a black thing. It happens no. everywhere, all around. Correct. I recognize that. But, in, but nevertheless, 
the community suffers. Those who are oppressed or those who are marginalized, they are the ones that suffer. So I made up my mind, I have, I gotta go. I got to move with deliberate speed and calculated speed to do something that's going to be positive. And that's where Eagles Nest comes in at. I'm chairman of the board of the Erie Housing Authority. I'm on the board of uh, trustees of Hammond UPMC Hospital. I'm in charge of their diversity and inclusion and, and committee. So all of the positions that I have in town, I use it to further the agenda that I believe God has told me to do as mm -hmm. far as bringing people, bringing communities together mm -hmm. so that we can take advantage of the what we call the America Ring. Mm. And you talked about in order to, to catch this window of opportunity, the, the need to grow the Eagle's Nest program to, to, to match the, the level of the opportunities. or Absolutely. the How hopeful are you that that's going to happen? Well, it's going to happen. We'll make it happen. What do you need for it to happen? Well, I, I, well, I need money. And, but I, I have, I've never allowed money to be my primary focus. I've never allowed that. I, I need people to invest in me and what I do. And I think people see that. And, you know, I think I have a reputation. I think I have a reputation now that if I say I'm going to do something, people know, well, back up, get out of his way, because he's going mm -hmm. to do it. And yeah. I think I have proven that. It is passion. It is passion mingled with purpose. And that's how you win, that I get up every morning with a, a, a passion and a purpose to change people's lives um, so they can take advantage. I buried two, can you imagine the young people I've buried across the years? I've mm -hmm. seen that had to console mothers who have cried and whose sons have been murdered, the bodies I've had to identify across the years. Uh, how many court cases have I been to across the years? The judges know me, they see me coming, you know. The meetings I've had with with uh, Jack Denary, Bradley Fogg, or Joe Conti, and you know, the, the DA, and all of those type of things. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate guy, and if I see something that would be beneficial, um, you know, I, I, I try to use a little wisdom, and I go to certain people in town, and I have a conversation. They're very candid with me. I'm candid with them, and I pick their brain. I pick their, I get ideas from them, and I go for, and I do my thing. In addition to the Eagle's Nest, are there other strategies or or opportunities that you think need to be pursued to increase? I don't know, admission to, I'm not phrasing this question very well, but capturing this moment. Eagles I mean, Nest is, is, is a corporate, is a corporate ever expanding yeah. um, initiative. Um, my, my, my philosophy is that of the eagle. Eagles don't fly in flocks. Eagles fly somewhat higher, stronger, faster, they go through storms. And I like to look at myself as an eagle. And I try to duplicate and replicate who I am and, and other people and to let them know that they are eagles. So 
So we are moving in expansion, some things we're looking at right now that we're prepared to do. In fact, the young lady in the office over there is working on a proposal right now, and as we speak, I'm doing some things to get people employed. Nothing stops a bullet like a job. People, there's something, there's something magical, spiritual about working. Nothing stops, nothing stops that bullet. Nothing stops that negativity. I don't have to sell drugs. I don't, I don't have to go out shooting. I don't have to rob. I don't have to steal. I don't have to be a nobody. I don't have to, to, to live like a vagabond. Um, but eventually I can pursue my dreams. I can buy a home. And I can buy an automobile. It may not be a new car, but it may be a used car, but I can I can do that. I can get a bank account and I can start a 401k and I can start doing this and I can start doing that. I can participate in what we have come to know as the American dream. Mm -hmm. I can do that. And that's what Eagles from it, it is an empowerment. It is an empowerment zone. We have, believe it or not, almost 600 applications of oh, people no who want to get into the Eagles Nest program in that office right there. About that. And we've done no advertising. How many, how many places do you have to put them, though? You don't have that many. Well, we're working. We're working. It, it has, it, Eagles Nest has been, again, we're learning as we go. I have great people. Great people have, um, again, being with the Housing Authority and, 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 uh, being at Hammond, uh, President Hammond, David Gibbons was here yesterday morning early for we talked for a long time. Just, you know, getting over about Eagles Nest business and giving me ideas. Um, the people at Erie Insurance who have this, they give their time to teach, to train, to learn. Um, and and uh, uh, training me, I mean, you know, and I'm learning from them so that we can be better and do better. Um, so I, I'm very, very optimistic, very hopeful. I have great expectations for the future towards Eagles Nest program. We can change the trajectory of our community. We really, really can. And uh, get these people. Is Eagles Nest the only one? No. no. There are other institutions that are out there doing great jobs and all that type of thing. But I know what I believe God has told me to do. Right. And, and I have what I call partners um, of people, you know, all around the city uh, um, who have helped, uh, thinking of an older a white couple who have been just kind to me. And, and their kindness has empowered me to go a little further. Um, Tim Castro, oh my God. Just a phenomenal man. Uh, we spent some time, quite a bit of time together the other day, and I went over to Little Italy, and we parked in front of the house that he grew up in, and we talked about that. And, and I'm gleaning from him. I'm learning from him. You know, and other people that I've been involved with across the years, and, and learning from me being on the board, at, at Hammond and, and hearing all the acronyms. What's this acronym? All of this, you know, and, right. and learning, even learning better how to do a meeting and better. 
all of those dynamics. I'm with I'm with uh, Michael Victor the other day, and this man. I mean, he blocks out three or four hours of his day for me, and we're riding around the campus at Mercyhurst University on a golf cart. It was so funny. It was hilarious. But he's showing me everything, you know, and what he wants to do. And I'm hearing his heart, how he wants the, the, this campus to represent. Erie, Pennsylvania, and I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at everything. I'm I'm looking how clean are the buildings, how clean are the dorms. I'm looking at everything. I went to the the cyber school, and I'm thinking I'm walking into a James Bond movie. It was that that phenomenal. I'm looking at the manicured grounds and whatnot. I said, this is important. It's important that African Americans and minorities see this type of environment. And you don't have to leave Erie. No, 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 no. It's right here. <laughs> it's important that African Americans see that type of environment and take advantage of it. Um, the African American Boys Academy. Mm -hmm. How does that fit into your strategy with the Eagle's Nest? Well, there's something called the fourth grade failure syndrome that boys, and it's, it is a recognized psychological disorder that African American, many African American boys go through who are enthused about learning first, second, and third grade, but when they get to the fourth grade, they hit a wall, boom. Hmm. Now, if you look at, look at the school district, and this is not a criticism of the school district, I'm, it's an observation mm -hmm. that the African American males, who do they have in authority that looks like them? In the school district. Okay? Out of how many students? You see? You, you, you get my point. You understand. So we we have to take the... It's, it's very difficult. Is it impossible? No. But it's difficult to have a young white female teacher from the suburbs come in <laughs> to teach these boys. It's, I mean, it, it can happen. It can work. And the teachers have done a phenomenal job, but it's difficult. It would be easier for a, a male, African-American male teacher. So, I, you know, with the Boys Academy, I want to, I want to handpick some young, not just, not just black teachers. No, 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 no. There's some young, there are some young white teachers that are, they're great. They think outside the box. I want to be able to handpick a group of teachers that will take these boys and groom them. I want, I want them to wear a uniform. I want their shoes shined. I want them to stand up when the teacher walks in the room. I want them to say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. I want them to be able to recite their creed. You should have heard them in front of city council the other day. I had 27 boys and their t-shirts in front of city council the other day from the academy this summer from the academy mm -hmm. and they cited their creed it was absolutely off the chain they cited their motto and their core values and i and i wrote the creed so i was concerned whether they could learn that that's something i would have given to a group of college kids when i was mm -hmm. teaching the research prep that's something i would have given to them not to boys from the age of seven to um 11. Mm -hmm. Great. So that so 
th that's going to, we have to start as young as we can to get these boys on a trajectory of hope and a trajectory of success and achievement. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, that's what I intend to do. That's why I'm building that building in the back that will serve as an auditorium. But it's, it's, it's an aggressive agenda. But I have people prepared to come in and we're gonna get young mothers. We'll get young mothers. And I got some, some people ready to be mentors and we're gonna put 50 young mothers in, in that auditorium and shut the door and let them go to town with these mentors and talk about these problems that, that's plaguing our communities and what they can do and how they can do it and how they can be better and do better and how they can achieve. Um, we will be doing this summer, coming summer, we'll be doing a girls' academy. Oh, you will? We're going to, we're going to do an African-American girls' academy. And we say African-American because that's where our emphasis is, is lies, but mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, you know, we're not turning anybody away at mm -hmm. all. We'll have boys and we will have girls. Mm -hmm. You know, we feed them. Mm -hmm. We feed them two million people think and, and this let me let me talk about this because ah this is a big bone of contention with me. And this is some in-house thing, in inner community things that, that that angers me. That for an example, I have boys that I charge twenty-five dollars individual. They're with me for five weeks, every day for five weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. I feed them breakfast and lunch and this is not a babysitting service it is it is a training we train them we teach them we, we you know we have it's a reading program and a history program and life skills program and how to get along program and they go on field trips that otherwise they would never go on and etc cetera, et cetera, all mm -hmm. those type of things we and all we do is charge them 25 dollars 25 dollars and 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 our community to under, our community to understand everybody's not going to make it in the NFL. Everybody's not going to make it in the NBA. Come on, we have parents who 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 you know. Well, my son likes to play so and so and so. Do you know the percentages of of somebody making it into the NBA? Here you are. You're pay, you're paying five hundred dollars for your child mm -hmm. to pay up to, to play basketball or to play football in a summer program where what chances are they won't make that that will not be a career for them and all I charge is $25 and I'm feeding them I'm feeding them to two meals a day and I have teachers who come in and volunteer and we teach them and train them and hold them and, and whatnot it's amazing it, it, it is amazing so so it's, it's our priorities, this is part of my issue, our priorities have been screwed up. Our priorities are ridiculous. You know, some, some very, very, very few will make it into the NBA. God bless them. They will make it to an NFL. God bless them. But the overwhelming majority will not. So what are you going to do? And, and, and our Parents need to understand that. That's a priority. That's a tough pill to swallow, but parents need to understand that. And too many of them don't. So shifting gears a little bit, mm -hmm. um, how much are you encouraged by the, the total 
shift in stance and tone at City Hall and the deliberate attempts to improve community police relations to increase diversity, having Mike Outlaw on staff, having Neekin on staff to reach out to the new Americans. Do you think those are important? That's an important way to go about? Absolutely. Um, Mayor Joe Schimber has been a part of my board from the very beginning. Okay. And uh, he, is, he, has, he has a way, he has a um, atmosphere, he creates an atmosphere of, of excitement. He projects a sense of caring mm-hmm. that people can feel. People's personalities are different. Joe Sennett is a friend of mine and a good man. But they had different styles, and um, um, the times now dictates that not only does the city, and especially the minority community, need um, um, a mayor, but they need a symbol. And uh, uh, Joe Schimber is is a symbol. I've uh, Chief Pizzani was here Saturday for a big block party. You know, he spent a couple of hours here with the clowning and having fun. And and I s- sat back and I looked at the police officers who were here playing basketball mm-hmm. with the kids, interacting mm-hmm. with the kids and young people sitting down talking, sharing that type of dynamic. That's what brings about better relations. So mm-hmm. I, I commend. Uh, Chief Pizzarni and and, uh, Deputy Chief Nolan, Mm -hmm. he was here doing the same thing. The more we interact together, the more we find that, oh, he's not so bad, she's not so bad, I'm not so bad, and that's what happens. That's how communities grow. You know, looking back on clips about the issues of equity, racial justice in Erie, We've been having conversations about this for decades. Mm. I mean, I've been here 16 years, and I can find clippings that go back 20, 30 years. You want to look and, at someone? And, well, look right. At yeah, you've got a wall of them here. Okay. And uh, some things have changed. A lot hasn't. Are we really at a tipping point, do you think, at this moment? Or 10 years from now, can could I come back and we'll be having the same conversation? My fear is um, that we may be having the same conversation. It's a slow-moving um, situation. Um, hey, look, and I guess in in keeping with that question about could we be having this conversation ten years from now? I mean, what? I hope not. You know, I hope not. Because I hope not. I, my fear is that we we will, but I hope not because Erie is a great place. It really, really is. I've been everywhere. I've been all over. Mm-hmm. Erie's a great place. Right now, we have we have an exodus of African Americans leaving Erie, going to Baltimore, going to Charlotte, and we don't see opportunity. And that's been my motivation. So, so you know, and, and many African Americans were well, there. There's nothing in Erie. I said, Oh yes, there he is. You mean to tell me you see this all this building going on? There's nothing in Erie. What what planet are you 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 you're looking at? The whole lot in Erie. Your thinking has to change, 
And then, if there's nothing in the area, bring something to the table. You do it. You bring something. Okay? Is it tough? Yes, it's tough. I've started, I've started, we have a campus here. I started Victory Christian Center with 23 people. Is that right? 23 people, no money and nowhere to go. So those were the days where the Harlan Daycare Center was open and they opened their doors for us and we had to set chairs and move a piano all the way down the hallway and whatever. And it's growing ever since. So so there Erie is a great place to live. Are there problems? Yes. There are problems in Atlanta. There are problems in Charlotte. There are problems anywhere. Now. I, this, let's talk about this um, Erie being the worst place in, in, in African America. Let's talk about that. Is that a question you have? It is, and I forgot to write it down, but it was one I was thinking of this morning because that has become sort of a touchstone for a lot of people in town to say, what are we going to do about it? That's bullcrap. Well, that's bullcrap. I, I, I don't, I don't, well, I, don't then, I do not believe it is true. Are there problems? Yes. Are there enigmas? Yes. Are there challenges? Yes. And I deal with those things every day of my life. I think I have a track record so I can speak from a standpoint of authority. I have a track record, okay? Now, you mean to tell me Erie is the worst place in, 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 in the country of African Americans when every weekend the number keeps going up of, of deaths in Chicago? You have 59 and 69 and 79 people, young people being shot in Chicago. The funeral home is, 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 the, is big business in Chicago now because they're having funerals every day of an African American male. And Erie is the worst place? I think not. I think there are people that are looking from the outside, looking at the, 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 a matrix, but not looking at the soul of a community. So once again, do we have challenges? Yes. Do we have problems? Yes. Do we have enigmas? Yes. Can we do better? Yes. Is it the worst place in the in the country for African Americans? Absolutely not. And that's mm -hmm. my you know that's my take on it. Okay, I was going to ask you that because, I mean, there are poverty numbers that are among the highest in the state, if not the highest in the state, and um, there's still segregation in the workforce, um, but mm -hmm. you're acknowledging all of that, but sure, it's, sure. it's, and it all needs I, I to mean, be. I deal, with, I deal with that, but I, you know, I deal, I can speak to the point, it's not a philosophy with me. That's why I'm working so hard every day to prepare people for the workforce to prepare them to go to work where they can partake in the dream of America where they can partake of and 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 take care of their families and 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 start putting a little money up that's why I have I have people don't know but I have a school of financial literacy that PNC invests in a school of financial literacy and we teach young people how to how to deal with money, how to budget, how to. I mean, I don't just talk the talk; I walk the walk. That's what I do. So, but but, you know, is we can do better within our community, but the, we cannot shuck responsibility. 
there are two things that I think as a community, as a, the black community, we need to understand better, and that's responsibility and accountability. That's just my, that's my personal view. Now, mm-hmm. people that read this may want to shoot at me or shoot me down or whatever. I can, I can hold my own. I can debate anybody about anything, anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that at all. Mm-hmm. But again, it, this is something that I, I don't visit it. I live it every day. That we have to teach our young men and our young women responsibility, okay? Because even with my Eagles Nest program, and, and our numbers are phenomenal, but when if, if one of my eaglets gets fired because they have three or four or five days being late to work, oh no, that's unacceptable. <laughs> or they get fired because of a dirty urine, that's unacceptable. Or if they get fired because of a no-show, well, whose fault is that? Mm-hmm. There has to be, you have a responsibility to get up and go to work. If you know that you have to be at work at seven o'clock Monday morning, then why in the hell are you out in the street uh, Sunday night? And you gotta get up. And you know that you have three children at home, then you have to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C for those children to go to daycare or whatever so you can go to work. That's why I opened up a daycare across the street mm-hmm. to eliminate any excuse for somebody to go to work. Is that tough? How much does this work cross over into your pastoral? role like when you are preaching on a Sunday is 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 one and the same absolutely I don't again my strong point is theology and if you ever came to church you would you would you would understand that that uh, eschatology heaven the doctrine of last things why I tell people all you need to do to go to heaven is die God's not concerned about you dying. If God wanted you in heaven right now, God is strong enough, powerful enough, wise enough to take you right now. So obviously God wants you here. God wants you to live. God wants you to be an example. God wants you to be responsible. God wants you to be accountable. God wants you to be an asset. God wants you to be an achiever. God wants you to accomplish something. God wants you to have passion. God wants you to have purpose. God wants you to have objectivity. So I teach people how to live. 